What a joy it is to gather with God's people. I'm glad that you are here this morning. And I want to talk to you in this introduction about an older word that you will find even in your newer translations. Because it's a word that it's hard to convey without multiple words or getting lengthy. And that word is propitiation. Propitiation. It's a word that means an offering that satisfies wrath. An offering that satisfies wrath. And so I was thinking about some modern day propitiations that we may experience. And so I thought I'd start maybe with the younger crowd here. Perhaps you're in school and one of your classmates is angry with you. You've offended them in some way. And uh, you are not sure that they're going to forgive you. And so you, you think in your mind and you think, oh, man, I know, I know, I know Jimmy likes Pokemon. And, uh, man, I've got five Diglett cards, but, but guys, Diglett cards aren't going to cut it, right? I mean, it's kind of a lame Pokemon. And so... You think, well, he really likes Charizard, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a, a Charizard. And so you you go to your buddy, and he's angry, and you can tell he's still angry with you. And he's looking away. He's like, hey man, listen, I'm sorry for what happened, for what I said. Uh, I I want you to forgive me, and and to show that I I mean it. Uh, here, I know you like Charizard, so here is a Pokemon card. And he looks. At you, and then he looks at the Pokemon card, and he forgives you. He looks upon the Pokemon card, his wrath is appeased because he really does like Charizard. And so he looks on the card and he forgives you. Now, let's step it up a little bit. Let's go into our workplaces. Perhaps you've offended someone at work. You're a little older now, or maybe you're in college, high school, and you've offended someone. And now Pokemon cards aren't going to cut it. Right. And uh, you've offended someone and, and in a bad way. And I'm sorry, it's just not going to cut it in and of itself. They are angry. And so you think, man, I know they like the Cowboys. And so I'm going to uh, I'm going to get them a new Cowboys cap or or maybe they're Astros fans. And you say, oh, they've got those new cool Space City uniforms. And I'm going to get them a, a, a hat with the new logo on it. And so you do that, and as you're walking up to them, you can tell that they're still angry with you, but you say, man, I'm really sorry. I know that you're a big fan of the Astros here. I I saw these Space City caps, and I thought, man, you probably wanted one of those. And and so I got that for you just to to show you I'm sorry. And, And they look at that cap, and they forgive you. And then let's step into our marriages, one of those times when... You've done something to offend your wife. Uh, you walked in a room, as I've said to you before, and she says, do you remember what today is? And you don't have a clue, right? And so she's offended, and she's angry. And so what you do is you go out and you buy her her favorite flowers or a bouquet of flowers, and, and you come home and, and you, you grab the doorknob thinking you're going to rush in and Give her the flowers and the door's locked, and so you have to rustle your keys. You've really made her mad. 
and you open the door and she sees you and she's angry. But out of the corner of her eye, she sees you've got some her favorite flowers or perhaps it's her favorite candy or ice cream or whatever. Well, you know what it takes, men. If you don't, you need to find out. Okay. And so then you walk in and you say, babe, I am so, so sorry. I know I offended you and uh, I just want to say I'm sorry. And here is an offering is what you're making. And she looks upon the offering and her wrath is appeased and she looks on the offering and forgives you. Now, in the Bible, this word propitiation in ancient times was used when people were worshiping their gods, whatever gods they might be, and they thought for some reason their god was angry at them. They would make some type of offering, whether it was an animal sacrifice or or uh, maybe some other thing, something that was valuable to them. They would make this offering to as a propitiation, an offering that would satisfy the wrath of their God so that their God would not be angry at them anymore. And it is this word that gets pulled into our biblical vernacular, as in Romans, Paul tells us that Christ has, is our propitiation. He is our offering to God that satisfies God's wrath. In fact, he says God put forward Jesus Christ as an offering to satisfy God's wrath against what? Why was God angry with us? Well, let's look at Romans 1.18. Why would God be angry with mankind and with you and I in particular? Why are we under God's wrath? Romans 1 verse 18 says, therefore, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress the truth of God. So how does ungodliness and unrighteousness suppress the truth about God? Well, Genesis tells us that God made us in his image. We are his image bearers. In other words, when you see another human being, you ought to see a reflection of God's character. And so as God's image bearer, I'm supposed to reflect what God believes and how God would act and how God would talk and what God would do. But in my ungodliness and my unrighteousness, I am sending the wrong signals about God. I am misrepresenting him to other people. Have you ever been misrepresented to others? I know I have. I've had statements that I've made be twisted and used against me. And I got to say, it didn't make me happy. Made me angry. Well, think about how in our day to day lives, our very thoughts and our actions compound and compound and compound and multiply and multiply as we misrepresent God through our sinful thoughts and actions. Our unrighteous deeds and ungodly thoughts suppress the truth about God. He is misrepresented by us. Look at Romans one twenty nine. You're there in Romans one. Look to Romans one twenty nine through thirty two. It's just a, a list a litany of things that are are an example. They're not even 
a full listing of all the ways in which we misrepresent God. It says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Something we see in our society today as we see our society turning more and more away from God is that it's not that you it's you, you believe something is sinful. But society says, no, it's not. It's not sinful. It's not that we can disagree. They want you to celebrate that sinfulness, whether it's adultery or fornication or sexual immorality LGBTQ plus issues. They want you to celebrate these things. Abortion, celebrating sinful things. They not only give approval, uh, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Beloved, we are sinful image bearers who suppress the truth about God and are truly deserving of the full outpouring of God's wrath upon us. Now, you may think, hey, listen, Pastor, I'm not all that bad. In fact, if you give me 30 seconds, I can probably list 10 people that I know who are worse than me. I can remember thinking through that in my unsaved days. Not necessarily the number 10, but I would always think, well, I'm not I'm not what I should be. I understand that I'm not quite what I should be, but I'm not as bad as so and so. Any sinner deserves God's wrath. And we are all sinners. I put it this way, some people deserve hell more than others, but nobody deserves heaven. Some people deserve hell more than others, but nobody deserves heaven. When you stand before God, you're not going to be able to point to those ten people who are worse than you. God's going to be dealing with you. And there'll come a day, there'll come a time when they deal when He deals with those other people who are worse than you. Judgment Day is coming. And we are in serious trouble. We need a sacrifice that will satisfy God's wrath against our sin. Thankfully, God provided that for us. What a God. He provided Jesus as a propitiation for us, as an offering that would satisfy his wrath against us. Look over to Romans chapter 3. And we'll be coming back to this portion of Scripture a few times. But Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That glory of God being a a phrase, an idiom for the resurrection into God's presence. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That means to be declared righteous. In God's courtroom, how can we be right? Well, he says we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You want to be forgiven by God for your sinful misrepresentation of him? You must place your faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus 
for your sins. You can't earn your salvation. You can't go out and buy your salvation. We offer Jesus to God as our sin offering, our propitiation. The offering that satisfies God's wrath against your sin. And God looks upon Jesus and forgives me. And if you offer Christ to God as the propitiation for your sins, He'll look upon Jesus and He'll forgive you too. The death of Jesus satisfies God's wrath against my sin. But that's not all. In order to dwell in God's presence, we also need a righteousness that is equal to His own. I need God's righteousness. The problem is, I don't have it. I have David Harris's righteousness. And my righteousness is like filthy rags in God's eyes. There were times on the farm when I was growing up when a a cow would have trouble with a calf. And we would have to help pull the calf. And in doing that, you get this disgusting, bloody film on you that the calf has on him when he comes out. And just to make it even furtherly gross, the mother cow licks that stuff off the calf. It's just a disgusting thing. But in this process of pulling the calf, you get disgusting stuff on you. And so you get back to the house and you wipe off with a towel. Or maybe you're jumping in the truck and you don't want to put your hands on the steering wheel. And so dad would grab an old rag and wipe his hands off. And and then he'd throw that down. And then we get back to the house. Oh, David, I forgot. Uh, we need to get that rag out of the truck. Run out there and get that. Ugh. Right? I mean, you go out there and open the door and you see this rag there and it's bloody and disgusting. And it looks awful. And I don't want to touch it. Beloved, when we try to earn our way into God's favor and do righteous things to pay for our sin, it's like those disgusting rags. In his eyes, he is not satisfied with our attempts to please him. We have misrepresented him. There is an offense in which your good works are never going to be enough. He requires a perfect righteousness, a righteousness like his own. We don't have that. But how can we get it? Well, there's good news. There's gospel news. If you look back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul Rejoices in the gospel. In Romans 1.16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's this concept of the righteousness of God. How can I have it? Second Corinthians 5.21 says this. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin. Who knew no sin? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God placed our sin upon Jesus Christ. And so his death satisfies God's wrath against our sin. But not only that, it says that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for our sin, 
in his death, burial and resurrection, God joins us to him. Sometimes referred to as the mystical union. That's not a phrase that you'll find in your Bibles, but it's how we refer to it. It's how he joins us to Christ. And, and in this, if you look at Ephesians 5, verse 30 through 32, we see where Paul, referring all the way back to marriage, is referring to Christ and his church. So when we read our Old Testament, we're seeing pictures that point to Christ and his salvation. And in that, one of them is how the two shall become one is actually referring to Christ and his church. So in Ephesians 5, verse 30, it says, we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. God weds us to Jesus, and we become one with him. And so, what's mine becomes his. Well, my sin is placed on him. But he died for that sin, so that's taken care of. But his righteousness becomes mine. When Kim and I got married, I was in debt, about $8,000, just in school loans alone. And I had a new car. And so we had all this debt. And then I got married, and the two of us became one. Well, guess what? Kim also had about $8,000 of school debt, and she also had a new car with the payment. And so now her debt became mine. And mine became hers. And we worked together to get that paid off. But here's the thing, when, 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 we're, when we're joined to Christ, when we, when we become wed to Christ, we get his righteousness. It's not a negative thing, right? And, of course, my wedding to Kim was not all negative, right? <laughs> got the debt, but I also got Kim, and that was a wonderful thing. I still rejoice in that. But when we're wed, wed to Christ, what's his becomes ours, and, and his righteousness becomes our righteousness. Now, let me ask you something. We need the righteousness of who? God, to be in God's presence. Is Jesus God? He is. And so his righteousness is the righteousness of God, and it becomes mine. And God looks upon him and is pleased with me. What a gospel. Look at Romans 3, verses 21 through 25. Let's back it up just a little bit in Romans 3. Because we know we need this righteousness of God. Paul's going to explain to us how this propitiation of Christ, we get that. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. So if we consider the law, the Ten Commandments and all the things that, accoutrements that come with that. We consider the law and we look at the law and we go, boy, that describes the righteousness of God. The problem is that it also points to my sin and how I can't attain to that. And so I need some way to attain that righteousness of God without knowing that I can't keep it. Right. And so now he's saying the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. So there's another way. To have God's righteousness. And it's verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are declared righteous, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. When we place our faith in Jesus' substitutionary death and resurrection, God joins us to Christ. My debt is paid by his death. His righteousness becomes mine. God the Father looks upon Jesus and forgives me. His wrath is satisfied. God looks upon Jesus and sees me as precious. And I am at peace with him. No longer under his wrath, but at peace with him. Oh, some people deserve hell more than others, but nobody deserves heaven. God gave Jesus as a satisfaction of his wrath, a propitiation for our sins, so that those who believe in Christ's sacrifice for them will have their sins forgiven and God's righteousness put to their account. But some people will not submit to being saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Romans 10, verse 3. It says this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The first thing you surrender is your way of thinking you can get God to forgive you and allow you into his presence. How can you get God's righteousness? Well, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. We wouldn't want to rent it, right? You have to surrender your thoughts of how can you be righteous in God's eyes. So you submit to God's way. Salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. There's no other way. If you do not submit to God's way of receiving righteousness in Christ Jesus, then you deserve his wrath. John 3.18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the opposite of being justified. Being declared righteous is to be condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Speaking of the name of someone is to speak about their reputation, their story. Christ lived the perfect life and died for our sins and was resurrected to be with God. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to be saved today. God's wrath awaits your death. Don't delay. He has given you Christ as an offering for your sins. Go to Him, not with your good works or anything else, but repent of your ways. Repent of your sin and place your faith wholly In Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior from God's wrath. Jesus saves us from God's wrath. But that's not all. Jesus also saves ourselves from ourselves. He saves us from ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, his life for my sins, my life for his service. Do you see that there? His life for my sins, my life for his service. We're no longer to suppress the truth about God by our sinful thoughts and actions. Those things were what brought God's wrath upon us. 
in the first place. We are to instead live our lives for Jesus who died for our sins. Jesus saves us from God's wrath, but also from ourselves. Our lives now have purpose. God's purpose. He wants to conform us into the image of his son to make us Christ-like so that we will be proper image bearers. We call this process sanctification. Surrender begins at salvation, but continues for sanctification. His life for my sins, my life for his service. I'm to set aside my desires and wants and instead live my life for God's purposes. I need to surrender to God's purposes for my life. He is now my Lord. He is my master. He directs. I obey. God's not a counselor. He's a king. He's not a counselor whose opinion I consider and then choose what I think is best. He's a king whose commands I obey. Romans 12:1. as Paul gets to the climax of the doctrinal section and then gets into the application section. <laughs> he says in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. He said to present your bodies. Listen, the choice is yours. Christ gave his life for your salvation. Will you give yours for his service? You were to be a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, but a living one. You choose to present your life to God. It's to be a holy sacrifice. Holy means to be set apart from the common, to be dedicated to the Lord's service. We could think of these chairs. These chairs could be used anywhere for any type of service. But these chairs have been set apart for the Lord's service to service you on Sunday as you sit through the service, if you will. They're set apart for the Lord's service. You are to be holy, a holy sacrifice set apart for the Lord's service. And then we're to be acceptable or a pleasing sacrifice, doing God's will. God's way, will you surrender your redeemed life as a living sacrifice to God? His life for your sins, your life for his service. Surrender for salvation is a one-time surrender. But surrender for sanctification is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, putting aside my desires and following God's direction. We need God's help. And that's why we need to pray and be reminded of our surrender to God's ways. The model prayer begins by having us sight our spiritual gun, right? Like when, when Pastor Tad goes hunting at the camp, he's got to make sure that his scope is pointing in the same direction as his barrel. And so he has to shoot and see where it hits the target, and then he has to adjust his scope over to where they're both pointing at the same thing. Our daily prayers are to do the same thing. That's what Christ is telling us. The very first thing we do is we we align our desires with the Lord's desire. Notice what he says in Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means his reputation be seen as holy. Let your name be kept holy or let your name, your name, not mine, be treated with reverence. 
Nothing I do as God's image bearer should bring disrespect to God's reputation. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord, not mine. Your will be done instead of mine. Surrender goes beyond the church. It is a surrender to God's ways in your home, in your school, in your workplace. Surrender to God impacts every area of your life. Surrender is the Christian life. We follow the Spirit's leading. And we meet here today and we celebrate the graduates as part of our service this morning. Let me just speak to them and say that you're stepping into a new arena of your life. Your parents have raised you and now it's up to you. You're going to find out your faith. Was your faith in your parents, God, or is your faith in the one true God? And regardless of the job they've done, whether it's good or bad, or whether you feel traumatized or you feel blessed, the faith has to become your faith. You will be held responsible. Sunday morning comes, you will have to get yourself up and get yourself to church. I can, I can remember, you know, you're, you're responsible for your decisions, right? I can remember growing up, I've shared this with you before, I think. When I was growing up, every once in a while, mom would buy those uh, chocolate chip cookie rolls. You know, the big roll of dough. Man, I loved that stuff. But mom would only let me have one spoon full, right? So I became an expert at digging and getting the most heaped up piece of cookie dough I could get. <clears throat> and that was my life until I went to college. And I can remember being in college, we lived next to a gas station. I walked in this gas station, I was walking by the freezer, or the refrigerated section, and I looked, and there's a roll of cookie dough. And I thought, Mom is not here. And I bought that thing, and I ate it until I got sick. You're going to be responsible for your own decision. And I hope that was not the worst decision I made. Against what my parents had taught me, okay? You're heading out on your own. Who will be the king of your life? Will it be Jesus? Or will it be you? Now back to all of us. We we still face that decision every day, right? And I would say this. Selective submission is just another way of saying you get to do what you want. It's as if you listen to the Lord's direction and you only obey if you think it's what's best. God's not a counselor. He's a king. Who is more knowledgeable about your situation? Who is working all things to make you more like Jesus? Don't be arrogant. Don't think you know better than God. If you can trust Jesus as the Lord of your salvation, I mean, think about how God brought all those Old Testament predictions and types and pictures together into the Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation. You think if we can trust God for that, we can also trust God with our sexual life? Do you think you can trust Him in the workplace when your boss is wanting you to lie about something? Or how you treat your other employees or co-workers? You can trust Him in your home life. In your marriage, in your singleness, God knows best. Obey Him. 
Submit your ways to him. Selective submission is just another way of saying you get to do what you want. And that means you're the king of your life, not Jesus. Surrender is the daily setting aside of my desires and offering my entire being to the Lord to be used in any way he chooses for his glory and the good of others. My life daily surrendered to God for one lifetime. That's all I get. I don't get multiple lifetimes to serve him. You get one. He gave his life for you. Give your life for him. Will you surrender, first of all, to God's way of salvation? If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Make today the day. Faith in Christ's sacrifice for us is the only way we can have God's righteousness. Will you place your faith in Christ alone for your salvation today? If you will do that today, the next step will be baptism. Not for salvation, but to tell others about your salvation. Baptism depicts your decision to die to yourself and you go under the watery grave and then you're resurrected to walk a new life in Christ. That's what it pictures. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants us to do. To depict his salvation of us. To others, would you be baptized? Maybe you've trusted Christ and you've never been baptized. Let's get that done. Let's take that step of obedience. Perhaps you've been living your life and you thought you were a Christian, but really as you evaluate life, you're just God. You, you kind of counsel with God. You look at his word and you know what he believes about this and you agree with that. So you're good with that. But you know what he believes about this and you disagree with that because you really want that. And you just lived your life that way. And Jesus is not the Lord of your life. Don't call him Lord. He's not the Lord Jesus Christ to you. He's just another person that you listen to. He's not God. He's not a king. Maybe today you've realized that. And today is the day that you truly repent of your sinful ways. And you come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you accept that his life paid for your filthy rags of righteousness. And your sinful misrepresentation of God. And you offer His life for yours. And then you offer your life for His purposes. Perhaps today's the day that happens. Maybe for others of us. We've had a general walk following the Lord, but today was kind of a corrective. Maybe there were some areas of your life that you realize, you know what, I'm following my own ways, not the Lord's ways. And God's gently reminding you this morning, hey, hey, I'm the king. Follow me. Right? Because when we don't follow the Lord, what is it? We get off the path, right? And suddenly we feel further away from the Lord. Well, who who moved? You did, right? He's like, look, hey, 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 Ryan, I'm over here, right? Hey, Clifton, what are you doing over there? Come back over here. Right? Barry, what? come on, I'm good. I've got your best interest in mind. I want to make you more like me. And you say, oh, Lord, forgive me. And he will. Because you're not under his wrath anymore. You'll never be condemned by him. Once, you be, once you've been joined to Jesus, you'll never be condemned by God. He will work on you, and he will work on you, and he will work on you until he brings you to himself. What a God. What a gospel. The gospel means good news. Oh, would you believe the gospel today? His life for your sins. 
your life for his service? Who will be king of your life? Will you surrender your life to God?